Hey guys, uh, I got two things for you today. I'm first off before I get into those two things. Uh, I'm recording this on Friday, so this may have hit your feed before the sermon. Uh, on Monday, a few of us are going to be doing some work in the yard. Monday and Tuesday, uh, maybe even into Wednesday, uh, we're going to finally start installing some shrubs and flowers and the like around the building. And uh, so I won't have time to do this on Monday. And so I wanted to get this out beforehand, but there's two things that I can tell you will not make it into the sermon. Um, the first one is this. We see that Judas is possessed by Satan. Satan enters into Judas. How does that happen? I have no idea. But nevertheless, Judas enters into Judas, and I would argue that Judas uh, is consenting. There we see that in Luke 22. And Satan is possessing, and so... Satan is able to possess because Judas is consenting to do evil. In other words, the spirit is not in him. He's not a Christian, we might say. And so can a demon possess us? No, uh, because the spirit indwells with us. And so therefore, uh, the spirit is unable to control, or the spirit of a demon is unable to control us. Uh, and I'll show you some verses to back that up. I'll take you to one now, Luke chapter 11. This is where Jesus is defending his identity as the Son of Man, namely that he is not of the devil. Uh, you remember back in Luke chapter 11, uh, right through verse 17, we see this notion where Jesus is saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can't be of Satan since I'm driving demons out. That didn't make any sense. And uh, he then goes on to say, though, uh, the illustration that he gives to further uh, accentuate his point is seen in verse 21 when he says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, I, I understand him there to be talking about himself, one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, I would understand that to be demons or Satan, overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Uh, in other words, the stronger man breaks in. Jesus is that stronger man. He's stronger than Satan. He breaks in. He pushes out uh, any evil, any uh, powers of the devil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, Jesus sees a binary understanding there. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And if you're in Christ, the stronger man is in you. And that stronger man is stronger than Satan and his demons. Which is why uh, John would write in 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, referencing Satan. And so therefore, when we think about that word possession, you know, can a demon possess a Christian? That we, we, we think about the word possession is like, can they control us? Have us to do things we wouldn't otherwise want to do. And again... The answer to that is no, because the stronger man, the power of the Spirit, lives within us. We are the temple. We have the stronger man within us. He is unable to control us. He is unable to possess us and to have us do things we can't, uh, we might not otherwise want to do. Does that mean that Satan can't tempt us? Of course Satan can tempt us. We know that's true. Right? Paul is talking about this, uh, you know, all the calls to obey the Lord. In particular, to put on the armor of God, to extinguish the fiery darts from the evil one. So the devil can certainly influence us or try to try to influence us by tempting us. But Jesus says that the strong man, the spirit lives within you. He's greater. He's stronger. And so therefore, demons cannot possess Christians. Judas was not a Christian. All right, that's the first question. 
Second one is in relation to the end of Luke 22. Now, this is an interesting passage. Unfortunately, I just don't have time to get to this in the sermon. This is so much fun to think about. Look at the end of Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 30. Uh, let me back up to verse 28. Jesus is talking here to the disciples. So when you hear the, you, the word you, he's speaking of the disciples. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom. Now, here's what's interesting. That word assign there is always, well, often, if not always, used in connection to covenant. So what Jesus is saying there is, you are those who stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you. Judas is out of the room, by the way, at this point. And I assign to you, I covenant to you as my father covenanted to me. Uh, a kingdom. I covenant to you a kingdom. That you, why does he covenant with them? So there's this covenant between Jesus and his apostles. That you may eat at my table in my kingdom. Alright? That much is pretty clear. What comes next is where your questions probably come. Jesus is saying, you've stayed with me. You're my apostles. I covenant with you just as the Father covenanted with me. And you're going to Drink and eat at my table in the consummated kingdom. Uh, that much is clear. I think that we don't have as many questions about that. The question comes in what he says next. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What in the world is that about? Had a lot of fun thinking about this. I'm, I really wanted this to be in the sermon, but I'm so, it's hard with these COVID sermons to get them underneath 40 minutes. And so this had to be cut, unfortunately. So what is going on when Jesus says, I'm covenant with you that you may eat and drink in my table and my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? So I'm going to answer that question as to what's going on with the judging of the 12 tribes of Israel. First off, let's answer the question, who does Jesus mean when he says, I'm going to get to the judging thing, I'm going to get to the thrones thing. But what does he mean by the 12 tribes of Israel? Does Jesus mean to be teaching here that these 12 disciples, or these, at this point, 11 apostles, that eventually you add Matthias, that's 12, or maybe they shouldn't have, and it's uh, Paul is the 12th. But either way, these apostles um, are going to be doing something in relation to the 12 tribes of Israel. Who are those 12 tribes? Does Jesus mean to say that those guys, those apostles, are in some ways judging the ethnic tribes of Israel? And my answer to that is no. Uh, I don't believe that Jesus has in view ethnic Israel here. Um, he seems to be indicating these notions of uh, that. Well, and here's the reason why I don't think it's ethnic Israel, because if you go back to the word judging, uh, what that word means in the Greek there, what that word can mean uh, is that they will be um, seeing or determining uh, what is the truth. Uh, that's what that word means. You think about a judge. What does a judge do? A judge has someone come up and he says, you know, this guy's lying, this guy's telling the truth. This guy's guilty, this guy's not guilty. And Jesus is saying, that's what you're going to do. One might say, well, Nathan, couldn't the apostles be said to be sending all the bad guys or the unbelieving ethnic Jews away? Uh, could be. That's a possible interpretation. I think a more likely definition, though, is this notion of what Jesus seems to be teaching. They're in heaven, Right? You may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So they seem to be, Jesus seems to be positively teaching. He seems to be mentioning this notion of who is in this seated at this table, judging who's going to be seated at this table with Christ. And so I understand it to be a more positive understanding of that word judgment. Therefore, that would then give me the indication that the 12 tribes of Israel that Jesus is referencing there is understood to be God's people, God's true people, the elect Christians. Uh, I get that from this notion of the fact that the new covenant is the new and the better covenant than the old covenant. The old covenant had 12 tribes, right? 12 ethnic tribes. Jesus appoints 12 disciples so as to illustrate this new people that he's creating. He just finished the Passover meal wherein he used, we thought about this on Sunday, wherein he used the Passover meal to point to his covenant, the better covenant. Consequently, the 12 tribes of Israel are those new and better people that are in the new and better covenant. And we see this exact same language being used, for instance, in Paul's defense in Acts chapter 26, where he references the 12 tribes of Israel. We also see James writing to the the dispersion of the 12 tribes. And in those instances, it does not seem to be in any way that he's writing to ethnic Jews. But in other words, what we find they're doing is they're writing to Christians. They're writing to the uh, spiritual Israel. They're writing to spiritual Israel. And so to give you another verse to kind of bring that to the fore, uh, Galatians chapter 3 says... And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. That's Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. So Paul there, who's a Pharisee of Pharisees, he knew his Bible. He's saying that if you are in Christ, repenting and believing on Christ alone for salvation, then you are of the promise. You are of the offspring, the spiritual offspring of Abraham. What made a Jew? What made you among the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, you tied your lineage back to Abraham. And what Paul seems to be saying, what James seems to be understanding, what Peter seems to be understanding, and what Jesus is understanding is that there are these now 12 tribes of Israel that are spiritual Israel. That is, those that are among Abraham's offspring as evidenced by our faith in Christ. We now are the true and better Israel. Back to our verse. I'm going to get to this in just a second. Uh, that you may eat and drink at my table, the apostles, eat at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging, uh, or in other words, uh, saying what's true, or who in this case is true, and among the twelve, among the twelve tribes of Israel, God's people. So, what I believe Jesus is saying there when he says that they're going to judge Uh, sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel in the new heavens and new earth. I believe there Jesus is teaching, it is by my teaching you the gospel, the spirit coming in you, you will then teach that gospel to the nations and it is that apostolic doctrine, that gospel built on the foundation of those apostles' teaching that will then spread and gather in those 12 tribes from all over the earth. Um, So, uh, that's what we see happening in the book of Acts, right? Is uh, all these uh, carryovers from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. When you read the book of Acts, you find the apostles teaching in Jerusalem and then eventually in Judea. And in every single case, somebody believes the clearest of these is in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. 
He needs an apostle to show up to preach to him the true gospel. And when he does, the spirit falls, they speak in tongues and the like. So the apostles are the keeper of those original keys to make sure the apostolic doctrine, the true gospel, is going out to gather the true and forever 12 tribes of Israel. That's what Jesus means. Uh, And I'm going to show you a verse in which I think all this comes together. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying here, you're going to be in the consummated kingdom. You're going to be sitting at the table of me, with me, and it is your teaching, your ministry, your doctrine that I entrusted to you to go and gather the nations through this true gospel. Then in that sense, you then will judge who is seated at that table in that kingdom. It is upon the truth of that gospel that you are teaching uh, that people will come into the kingdom. That's what he's saying. So, there's one other place in the Bible, and it's an interesting place. It's in this verse right here. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 to 14. Revelation 21, 9 to 14. This is the verse right here, 9 to 14. Wherein, what I'm saying, what I'm arguing for, that Jesus is doing here, I believe this idea that I just told you comes together in this passage. Here it is. We're talking about the end times here. Uh, you'll see this in just a moment. Jesus says, or the word says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, this is John writing, he's the me, saying, this is John, who's one of the apostles, saying, come, I will show you the bride. Right? That's the elect. I'm making the case that's the twelve tribes of Israel, the God's people, the elect. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Right? That's Jesus, the wife of the Lamb. Alright? So God's people marrying the Lamb. Jesus. And he carried me away to the Spirit to a great high mountain. Every time we see mountains in the Bible, that's normally important times to really slow down and pay attention. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. This is important what's about to come next. So there it is. John's got up to the mountain. He's going to see this marriage between God's people and Jesus. He goes up to this mountain and he's shown the holy city, Jerusalem. All right. I understand this to be the new Jerusalem. You see this coming where? Down. That's such an important word. The holy city, Jerusalem, is coming down. Coming down from what? Out of heaven. City, holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of uh, heaven. Holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. All right? And remember, all this is in reference to the bride marrying the lamb, Jesus. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. It's, that's referencing Jerusalem. It's this pure and holy city coming down. Like a jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with twelve gates. Alright, that should, that should make us pop. We get that number twelve again. Twelve gates, and at the gates, and at the gates, uh, and on the, uh, and at the gates and the twelve, and on, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes. There it is. Jesus says that you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 disciples judging the 12 tribes of Israel. We have the bride marrying the lamb, and it's the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Here comes heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. This is why I say resurrected people worshiping a resurrected city on a resurrected earth. Because 
the resurrection or the whole the heaven is coming down to earth. And there is, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes. The gates of this the gates of this Jerusalem that's coming down, you have gates, right? And there's twelve gates. What's above those twelve gates? The names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. Alright, same language. Above the gates of this holy city come down, the names of the twelve tribes of Israel are above the gates. But there's more. We'll come back to this. These uh, the names above the gates. Uh, the names of the son were inscribed. So and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. In other words, it's around the city coming down is surrounded by the names of the tribes all the way around. And the wall of the city, Holy City Jerusalem coming down, had how many? Twelve foundations. So it's got twelve gates that are the gates that are referencing, that have the names of the tribes of Israel. And then it's got twelve foundations. Right? What do we think of when we think about foundations? Foundation is what holds up. Right? If you have a foundation to a house, it's holding the house up. It's making it stable. Right? So you've got 12 gates to get in and out of uh, the city, as it were, coming down. And more importantly, the gates are keeping one side out and keeping another group in. And that city that's coming down has those 12 gates, but it also has 12 foundations. What are those 12 foundations? Well, guess what? It tells us. And on them, on the 12 foundations holding the city up, were the 12 names of the... Twelve apostles of the Lamb of Jesus. That's the same language Jesus is doing using here in Luke 22. So Nathan, kind of bring this together. What are you saying? What I believe that Revelation 21, 9 to 14 is doing is it's giving us illustration to what Jesus said to those apostles in, in Luke 22, verse 30. Namely, that by their teaching, by their doctrine by their preaching and teaching. In those days when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Spirit came and they sent it out. And we see in the book of Acts, they're binding and loosing in keeping with their gospel. And they're saying, that's the wrong gospel, this is the true gospel. And of course, they're writing letters, right, that make up the truth of the Bible, which we still bind and loose by today. What is the apostolic doctrine? Well, that apostolic doctrine, as preached by those original 12 disciples, that is the foundation that holds up heaven. That's coming down out of the, out of heaven from God to earth. So in other words, to bring all this together, what we have is, is we have the twelve, the twelve gates represent the ways in which we, the sons and daughters of God, have gone into the holy city of Jerusalem. And how is it we got in there? Well, because we believe the teaching of the twelve apostles of the Lamb that hold that city up, that teaching, that truth that holds and makes up that city that comes down out of heaven. So that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke twenty-two thirty. We see it, I believe, taught in Revelation 21, 9 to 14. And so, beloved, you are able to, uh, you are able to be in this city, this city that's going to be coming out of heaven, right? You're going to be able to be a citizen in that city. And you're going to be able to be in that city because of the finished and free work of Christ that is completed 
And by the Spirit, those apostles take the proper interpretation of what Jesus has done. They spread it through all the earth. It eventually got to us. And so therefore, we are able to go through one of those gates into the holy city. And we are able to be in that city and be part of that city and be upheld by that city because the apostles are holding us up. Their teaching is what's holding us up. And that's what's holding us up in heaven is the truth of God's word, which Jesus said will never pass away. And that apostolic doctrine is what, that apostolic teaching is what holds up heaven as it were. The truth and the uh, apostles are in that city judging. In other words, consenting. These are the ones that need to be sitting at this table and not those. Those go outside the gate because they do not, they are not upheld by the truth of the apostles teaching. Hope that was fun for you. It's fun for me to think about. Uh, and so take away there, right? Pretty simple. Believe the apostolic doctrine. Believe the truth that the apostles are teaching us. Believe the proper understanding of this word as it has been taught by the apostles for some 2,000 plus years now. If you don't believe that doctrine, as Paul says, one of the apostles says in Galatians 1, then you are anathema. You are cursed. You are outside those gates. But if you trust the true gospel, then you stand on top of those 12 foundations that the apostles taught us that hold up heaven, the teaching of the gospel, the true teaching of the gospel. So uh, praise the Lord for that teaching and pray that this church will always uh, teach that same teaching that the apostles have been teaching and did teach us at the beginning. Uh, and may we finally get to sit at that table and enjoy it with our Lord in heaven soon enough in that holy city of Jerusalem that is coming down out of heaven from God to the earth.